Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, May 1st. Welcome to May. And I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Was it just me or was that a hella fast April? Um, This week certainly has flown by for me, um, partly because I was in Toronto for 30-something hours, and that's not including about 15 hours of travel time on a Wednesday morning and Thursday night, all to make an an Alexis on Fire show, which was 100% worth the trouble um still riding a bit of a high from that i just you get a chance to see a band that's been like broken up for 10 something years that you got into as they broke up and you have free tickets to go see them in a new venue you just make it happen and the band like alexis on fire that's so worth it i could talk this podcast length about the concert um so i'll try and keep it at that but that kind of keeping me really busy with like a work week that balanced out to, which would have been not that much on its own. Uh, then, then I guess I got back like 11, 30, 12 Thursday night, went to work, then went to my friend's uh, like grad ball um, one year after graduating, which was an open bar formal event, very risky when there's work the next day, but all went through clean. And uh then the best weather of 2022 so far today. Nice. That was it. it was just the type of sunlight that sends the endorphins shooting firecrackers um, when it hits your skin and keeps you warm. First time I can think of, I haven't been working in that weather yet. Nice. Yeah, that's about my week. How's yours been? Good, man. Good. Uh, back on the field. First ultimate tryouts in three years. Uh, I think it went well all the way to Guelph and back uh, about like an hour and a half. It'll be for, for tryouts. And, uh, and then I had an impromptu trip to Toronto of my own. Were went, we uh, at the same time? I don't believe so. I was just there yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Arrived on Saturday to watch uh, some of my friends play in their first professional Ultimate Frisbee game, uh, the Toronto Rush taking on the Montreal Royale and getting it handed to them uh, quite, quite, uh, quite obviously, but, but a really fun time to see everyone and, and cheer on some of my friends. I've heard about the uh, Rush's roster this year being a bit depleted compared to former years. It is definitely a rebuilding year. They have taken a ton of talented guys, uh, and I think like 60% of their roster is rookies, at least in terms of AUDL experience. And so this is an opportunity for a lot of those guys to get great exposure. Um, They do get to play in the U.S. this year. So really excited to see a bunch of my friends take a step up. And uh, yeah, the Royale is a team that was like that a couple years ago. They're in their fully fledged form. Uh, and I think they're going to be pretty formidable. So yeah, just fun to watch it. Got to hang out with everyone afterwards at uh, the Duke of York, just down the street. And uh, yeah, really fun weekend. Well, that'll be a fun little thing going forward. You have friends on the rush. I have friends on the Royale and uh, <laughs> we'll, I'll try and take note of the next time they clash. And especially this summer, I guess then. There will be, there will 100% be a game in Montreal I don't think I'm going that weekend, okay. but, but it is, it might be on the table. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. 
good to be a road team uh, on Saturday night and good to be a road team today as we jump into the sports world. Both of our NBA second round series uh, kicking off today led to a victory by the uh, visiting team. A couple of shocking results and lots to talk about here as we enter our second round of the NBA playoffs. We'll also talk the NHL playoffs, which kick off tomorrow evening. And then a little bit of tennis and baseball to wrap it up. So without further ado, Max, let's jump into a Bucks 101 to Celtics 89 victory uh, earlier this afternoon. Yeah, like you said, a shocking result when you look at how well the Celtics have been playing and how dominant they were over a team like the Nets that were projected so highly at the start of the season. But the Bucks showed a different level today. And Oh, something I notice frequently is you use the word ceiling all the time. I use the word floor all the time. Uh, this game had me thinking about the floor raising of a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because you know what? In terms of shot making, he was relatively subpar. I think he was 9 for 25. He wasn't outstanding from the free throw certainly better than last playoffs but a bit below where he's been at personally um and despite that still mvp of this game he's the greatest he's the greatest player in the world right now and it's undisputed at this point what it really comes down to is the basketball intuition of the pace and control of the game he understands when to push, when in transition to go, when he has the matchup and to take it, when he has the matchup and to draw the double team and to kick it out, when to slow it down, when not to force the shot, to come out of the paint, reset and get his team a better shot. It was masterful all night long. Once the Bucks pulled ahead sometime in the first quarter after putting their defense together, they never trailed. And it was because Giannis was just so consistent for them. Uh, his second career playoff triple-double, I think something like 23 points, at least 10 assists then. Uh, it, he just gave them enough offense that all they needed was some other players to hit a couple shots. They didn't have to be hot all night. And that's what guys like Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen doing for this team Drew Holiday, especially every time the Celtics gathered a little bit of momentum, was able to create his own shot, a pull-up three, a floater on the drive, a forced layup, drawing a foul, just something to nip the Celtics when the offense got going, which was honestly few and far between. Um, On the other end, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, definitely more ceiling than floor type players, or razors, excuse me, who just like it wasn't there for them offensively tonight and it wasn't creating the same looks for the team as offense as a whole. The Bucks defense, I think forced a franchise high number of three point shots from the Celtics. They said, but they weren't, I think in the first half, uh, Horford, especially missing some clean looks that if it goes in, if those are all going in at like a 70, 80% clip, this is a different game, Yep. but you can't, totally just say it's a fluke when the bucks are letting them have those shots and their whole defense is set on that strategy um lopez an anchor in the paint i can't think of anything he did offensively today but defensively his presence was just 
um, CN Tower levels of height, a couple big blocks, and a lot of deters. Uh, it, I think this a low-scoring game where just the playoff defense was took each team's offense by surprise. They had a lot to figure out, a lot of forced shot making, and ultimately Giannis just brings a level of consistency that was the Bucks' edge tonight over the Celtics this afternoon. It, yeah, and and I want to talk about Giannis in a second because he's undisputedly the greatest player in the world right now. Um, but like you mentioned, the tale of the tape in this one uh, was that this Milwaukee team, despite missing three-time All-Star Chris Middleton, a guy who put up 40 in a finals game last year, they go with the size, which was really, really effective in their first-round series against Chicago. They continue to go with it, and they're just a far more physical team than Brooklyn, and Boston felt that really early on. And Boston on the other end, 50 attempts from three, you make 18 of them. So maybe you make – well – if they make four more of them, it's a tied game uh, with the 12 point swing, but a really startling result for this uh, slightly they're down a man Milwaukee team. They go into Boston uh, who's been riding that sweep, unbelievable defense. They just shut down two of the greatest offensive creators that the game has ever seen. And they get punched in the mouth. And it brings me back around to Giannis where Kevin Durant, super special somehow had a really terrible series and and everyone got on him for that and with i think the achilles being a big part of it is at a stage in his career where don't get me wrong kevin durant unbelievable maybe the greatest scorer of all time can give you 30 every night but Giannis impacts every aspect of the game at 100 percent more than anyone else in the league right now he tries so hard every night and when the playoffs come it it just it exposes so much more of the effort that he puts into the game and the physicality that he has a couple of key blocks uh one of them just really nasty against jason tatum and then he has these moments where you think you've contained him in transition he's half a step into his euro he's got nowhere to go and he throws it off the glass and dunks it right like just just completely overpowering as a physical specimen and that's been the story of now the last three Title winners after Golden State, Toronto with Pascal, Kawhi, and Marcus Saul was a formidable front court with a lot of two-way versatility. And then the Lakers with Anthony Davis, LeBron, and Marcus Saul as well, or a Dwight Howard or a JaVale McGee, insert that third big man, but a lot of size and, and, and uh, creativity there. And then, of course, last year with Milwaukee having the front line of Giannis, Lopez, Portis, uh, they've done a ton of damage and and you look at who made the finals last year with DeAndre Ayton as well with Phoenix is right now, the Celtics look a little bit outsized here um, and they felt the effects of that early. No one sets a screen on the Brooklyn Nets like Brooke Lopez does. And Marcus Smart was banged up in that game. He's, he's had a lot of miles put on him over the years and it definitely came through there. And the Celtics Fantastic team. They're going to lock in defensively. They're going to have better shooting nights, but they're in for this long series. And what we saw with Giannis is that he doesn't ever slow down. He gets to game six, game seven, and he's still going to be the one trying the hardest on the court. Um, and, and that could be the, the outcome really of this series. If he is the best player, he is the best player on the floor uh, every night. Then doesn't matter if they're down Chris Middleton, Milwaukee's going to be the favorite. 
Yeah, I, when I think about what this game means for the rest of the series, I, I do think there will be games where the Celtics perform better offensively. Um, but I don't think there will be games where the Bucks perform much worse offensively or defensively, honestly. Like, this, the turnover is very sloppy from both teams, and I expect that to be improved on moving forward. Uh, the tiniest hole, and maybe not tiniest, the one hole in Giannis's game, I would say um, the offensive rebounds kind of kept the Celtics in this game through a lot of the first half, and three, four of those I noticed. It was Giannis going up for it with one guy cutting in and then able to predict Giannis's trajectory and then get there ahead of time of him because he already knows where Giannis is going to be. Um, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, a little more box outs on the defense to shut down those offensive rebounds, taking care of the ball a little better, I think will be improvements we'll see for both teams. I don't know what the, it was double digit turnovers for both, I think closer to the 20s than the 10s. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to sh- shut down Giannis. I, I th- the only way they win this series is if all of their players are knocking down those threes at like a very consistent rate. I think seeing Jason Brown and, oh my goodness, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, they were both a lot more effective offensively tonight off the ball. And of course, you're going to get a couple open threes on running those off ball screens, but you can only run those plays so many times before the defense really clues in on them. And that's what we saw. I think Tatum and Brown need to figure out how to take advantage of Lopez's drop coverage to set up some high ball pick and pop uh, three looks. Uh, that's that's what the Bucks are giving them. And the Celtics tried to force it in the paint, I thought, a bit too much. And then um, the dagger really came in the start of the fourth when Pritchard went 0 for 4 of the first five three-pointers missed. That set like a 15-point deficit up around the eight-minute mark, and that was kind of all she wrote. Um, It's not even... The shots are there. It's just the confidence or something in taking them. I'm really going to be curious to see the three-point shooting next time out because the shots are there but they're just they're being disrupted just enough to make them not quite worthwhile it was a fascinating defensive thing in this three-point era yeah it, it's something that will definitely change but if you're milwaukee you're content i mean grant williams was probably the best corner three-point shooter by percentage this year but you feel okay with him taking big shots in the playoffs just because it's not Tatum or Brown and even Marcus Smart who had a maybe career defining moment passing up the the three-point attempt pump faking hitting Jason Tatum for the game-winning layup in game one against Brooklyn he's a guy that in those moments you'd rather have him shooting than Tatum or Brown as well and when you get 12 points out of your number two guy it's going to be really really tough to win a game without a superstar performance from your superstar and Tatum and Brown were unable to give that in game one, but I can definitely see them having a much stronger bounce back game in game two. All the same. I'm going bucks in six. All right. All right. I will say bucks in seven. uh, And that's going to be a very, very messy physical game. seven. all right. Uh, moving along here to our next game, which was much, much more thrilling, uh, very, very, 
heavily contested, um, very offensively driven, a lot of fantastic talent and shooting and shot making on display in this one. And the Golden State Warriors go into Memphis and steal one from the Grizz on the road without Draymond Green for a large chunk of this game after he was ejected for a flagrant two foul on Brandon Clark. Um, I disagree with the flagrant two. It happened. And despite that, the Warriors still able to win without him, which has to be a terrifying prospect if you are a Grizzlies fan. Yeah, uh, this game, unfortunately, the league pass grind trying to catch these three-hour or skip three hours of viewing for an hour and a half messes with the timing. I didn't catch any of it, just really have the box score to look at. So can just say, oh my goodness, Jordan Poole and John Moran. Uh, this this Grizzlies series team just doesn't seem to know how to have boring playoff series, and I am here for it. Yeah, it was pretty special performance by Jordan Poole. Really did a great job manipulating uh, Xavier Tillman in the pick and roll there and, and finding his spots and exploding to the basket. These teams fly in transition, and you can, it is a track meet running back and forth to try and contain some of these guys in the open floor. Uh, Jordan Poole is one of them who had a ton of success. John Morant, of course, as well, always loves operating in open space. But the big story of this game came down to offensive rebounding both ways. Now, the Memphis Grizzlies were one of the best teams in the league in the regular season with offensive rebounding. And Brandon Clark was an absolute menace tonight. He only had nine rebounds, but I don't know if they count all of the tip-outs that he had. He was very, very active, winning the loose balls against a Kevon Looney, uh, against a smaller guy who's boxing out like a Thompson, a Curry, uh, a Poole, um, as well as a Wiggins. And he was really, really instrumental in getting second-chance possessions. And the ball was often finding its way to Jaron Jackson Jr., who had a career-high playoff performance of 33 points, knocked down a ton of big threes. And uh, I was I was actually shocked that Memphis ended up losing this one because of Steph Curry and Jordan Poole being able to hit some timely threes that really killed a lot of the Grizzlies' momentum. It never felt like the crowd truly had that moment where they just lose their minds because as soon as the anticipation built it was Steph Curry getting a four-point play in the corner or it was Jordan Poole getting a tipped out offensive rebound and hitting a three or Jordan Poole sliding into the lane and getting a tough layup contested that just kills all the momentum and it was a really gutsy performance from the Warriors who came in favored in this game but Still impressive to win on the road and with Jamon Green out like that, uh, a really awesome performance. And if I'm Memphis, I'm looking for a little bit more out of Dylan Brooks offensively. He has struggled quite a bit. Um, the Grizzlies love to get in foul trouble, which you can't do against this great free throw shooting team of Golden State. And so Brooks, of course, and Bain really tied up defensively trying to handle Thompson, Poole, Curry. Uh, but you need to make your open shots when they're given to you. And, and they weren't able to do that. And, and they didn't get much from their bench either. So Taylor Jenkins will be going back to the drawing board, trying to find some more effective lineup combinations. Memphis did beat Golden State in the play-in last year. And so they do have that confidence about going into Chase Center and being able to win on the road. Uh, but they'll have to do so against this new look Warriors team who just shooters everywhere late in the game 
Thompson missed a wide open three, Curry missed a wide open three, Poole missed a wide open three, and they finally get one more open look. The Grizzlies gave him one too many, and Thompson knocked it down to take the lead. Uh, and the questionable uh, jump ball called by the referees on a ball kind of batted around out of bounds. They called jump ball because they were unwilling to commit to making a call either way. Didn't go to replay, which a lot of people were shocked about. The ball's tipped. Memphis gets one final possession and John Morant on a very similar looking play to the game winning layup. He hit against Minnesota uh, in the first round. He's unable to get it to fall against a contest by Gary Payton. The second who was awesome defensively in this game, uh, a lot of deflections um, and, and the Warriors steal game one with a huge performance. Really exciting. I think this series also goes seven um, in the way of Golden State. Man, it's a tough call if the Warriors on the road without their defense, best defensive still force a win to say that the Grizzlies are going to be competitive throughout and push seven. Um, with, with It's just one of those don't bet against the house moments for me. If it looks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck, excuse me, and mm-hmm. walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And everyone's saying it. These are the Death Star dubs back, resurrected, scarier than ever. So I'm going to go with them in five again. Wow. Wow. That would be stunning. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And, and when they line themselves up here across from a Phoenix-Dallas series, that is going to be awesome. Cannot wait to see this Luka Doncic, uh, Miles Bridges, or Mikhail Bridges matchup, pardon me. That is uh, best on best in terms of perimeter offense and defense. And Devin Booker stunningly back healthy uh, way before ahead of his timeline. The Sun's actually getting fined for not disclosing his health status before game six. But you take that every time to kind of shock the other team and have Booker come out and and play much healthier than everyone had anticipated. I see the Suns winning that and setting up a Suns Warriors series. But if the Warriors can win in five, then they have plenty of time to prepare for uh, for another center that could give them some trouble in DeAndre Aiden. What I love about this best on best matchup is this narrative of it through the trajectory of Luca's development. You look at him last playoffs having to deal with the top-tier perimeter defense of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are ultimately able to slow him down. And you know, if this guy wants is going to be the superstar that everyone thinks he can be, that Hall of Fame generational talent, then it's a hurdle he's going to have to overcome. And this is a huge opportunity for that. Um, speaking of Paul George, some of my favorite memories of last year's playoffs the Western Conference Finals that saw Booker and George just going at it, making impossible contested shots on runs back-to-back to just keep going. And then you look at the defensive slugfest that the series of Mavericks and Jazz was, and it, it makes me excited to see what this Mavericks defense can do on the league-best Suns. Uh, I think it's going to be excellent. Um, with the Suns, I always feel like it's... Aiton is just such an yeah. icing on the cake 
to what the rest of this team can do that yep. like a team will already have their hands completely full dealing with Paul, with Booker, with Bridges, with the bench depth that yep. when like Aiton played that, that premier top starting center level, there's just no answer for it. Uh, and for that reason, I'm picking the Suns. I'll go six again. I also have the Suns in six. Like you said, DeAndre Aiden is the X factor in every series that the Suns are a part of just because of his ability to be the biggest guy on the court and also incredibly mobile. Um, that's just what we've seen. Again, that has been the success of teams in the playoffs the last couple of years is size and mobility. And Aiden is that. He'll be the biggest guy on the floor. So will JaVale McGee. I think he'll be able to have an impact against this Mavs team. But really pumped to see the matchup of a Bullock or a Dorian Finney-Smith against Devin Booker. Uh, and then Jalen Brunson and Chris Paul going at it will be great. Uh, so really excited to watch this one. Uh, and yeah, like I said, Suns and Six. We'll wrap up our NBA playoff second round previews here with the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, questionable for game one with the orbital fracture. Um We'll see. He may actually be out for this one. And if that happens as Philly fan, you got to be very, very scared for the proposition of this series. Miami resting Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry in a game five closeout of the Atlanta Hawks. They will be at full strength heading into this series. And they have a much greater level of shooting uh, than the Raptors. And so that could give Philadelphia some fits. And I think Tyrese Maxey is going to have a tough time in this series because we saw what happened to Trey Young. He got put in jail and looked like he was having a terrible time. I think Miami is going to give Tyrese Maxey a ton of trouble. And if the Sixers don't get anything from him, I like similarly with Harden as well, I think he's really going to struggle against this Miami team like he did against Toronto. Then it's going to be Embiid against the rest and I think Bam Adebayo is probably a better defender than anything the Raptors could offer. And beat, of course, still no one on that team has the size to handle him. But it, it yeah, I, I'd say that if he's not in for game one and Miami instantly has that one up advantage, because I see them easily winning that first game without Embiid, then the Sixers are really in the hole. And so for that reason, I have Miami in six. Yeah, what I really noticed about Embiid in our series against him was if you can play him physical from the moment he steps across that three-point line, make him work every step closer to the basket, that's how you really slow him down. When he can't catch the ball within the 10, 12 foot from the rim mark, it's so much harder for him to draw those fouls. And of course... He does have fantastic post-movement and great touch on his shot for that mid-range game. It's just nowhere near as terrifyingly efficient as that close-range foul-earning game. And Adebayo as one body will just be much more effective than anything the Raps can throw at him. If they had a Siakam on him, an Ananobi on him, Barnes on him, a, a Precious on him, maybe that was like 60% effective. And then they needed the double teams. Adebayo is going to be 80% ballparking and just make Embiid have to work so much harder all series long. And I'm still not convinced that when you make him work really, really, really hard, he's at that level to pull it out. 
What I'm going to be really interested in is if Butler is mostly matched up against Maxi or Harden. I like the athleticism of Butler or like frame and size and length wise, you want him on Harden, but athletically, I think he's your best bet to deal with the speed and explosiveness of Maxi and just the series Harden had, like I want my better defender on Maxi than on Harden after watching that one. Um, Roughly, I do think the defense of this Heat team will be able to shut down the 76ers in a lot of ways. The Raptors showed it's possible, but just didn't have the consistent offense, the playoff pedigree, and all the other things to finish that deal. But I think the Heat will be able to take this one, uh, yeah, five or six. So there you have it. Those are our NBA second round playoff picks. Uh, if all things go the way that we're saying, uh, then it will continue to go chalk with just some of the top seeds progressing here as it has been the last few seasons. Um, really looking forward to that. We're going to take a quick break here, which we haven't done in a while, and come back for some NHL playoff preview. We are back for some talking hockey, and it is everyone's favorite time of the year in hockey season the stanley cup playoffs underway monday night uh 16 teams one goal you've seen all the promos but it's time and it is going to be physical it is going to be exhilarating and i cannot wait to catch it all uh in the coming weeks here lots of really really intriguing playoff series and we're going to get to see some teams really test their merit uh, and, and will some teams bloom and will some teams revert to their old ways and will some teams continue to carry on the mantle as proven playoff contenders. Uh, I think we will save the most notable series for last here in our discussion uh, and begin in the Western Conference. And our first series you have is the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild. Now, Max, I know both of us have not caught nearly as much hockey as we would have liked to this season. So if you are listening for an in-depth analysis of playoff hockey, you are definitely not going to get that. But what I can say about Minnesota and St. Louis talking a couple of weeks ago is that I was really, really thrilled about this series because these two teams are absolute powerhouses um, and they are very physical and they are very fun. And Kirill Kaprizov with a hundred point season uh, in his second year now following a Calder campaign and Marc-Andre Fleury in net for the wild, perhaps a couple of big names there to throw out. And and both of these teams, right. We talked about Minnesota in the off season. This is their, uh, maybe their one year window to really compete. And they're going up against a team that won now three seasons ago in St. Louis. Uh, a lot of talent on both sides. These teams do not like one another. They've seen each other plenty as a division rivalry. And so I'm really stoked for this series to get underway. Yeah. Let me just say on the subject of NHL playoffs as a whole, uh, we were driving back past a Montreal bus the other day that had Go Habs Go on the sign or Congrats Habs, which I thought was maybe a congrats on a good Shane Wright, Shane Wright lottery odds. Yeah. <laughs> and it just left me to remark to my coworker, like, what a wild sport hockey is that the team goes from the NHL finals <laughs> to Shane Wright in one year with. 
I know they lost a couple of important players, but more or less the same roster. We're, we're not talking about anything like the way the Blackhawks' roster got deconstructed after their first cup mm-hmm. um, and just points to what a highly variable filled sport hockey is. And that's what makes the playoffs so fun. Um much more so than something like March Madness, where it is just one game, but just that goalie who locks in for yeah. a couple of weeks, that player you didn't expect to get hot, that one bounce that, that followed up by airtight defense when a team just dials all on the exact same period mark, on the exact same line, on the exact same page. I cannot wait for it. And the Blues Wild series, a wonderful one to kick that off with because two teams who know what the playoffs are have spent the last five years far more in them than not, have had plenty of experience under their belt and will know exactly what they're in for, what to throw at each other. And I'm just excited to see them start swinging. So with our lack of knowledge of this year's teams, we are going to rely on some historical precedents when making our picks. Now, the Minnesota Wild very much struggled to get out of the first round, which is why I am going St. Louis here in six, uh, going to be an awesome series. And while the Blues definitely have a bit more of a controversy in net uh, in terms of Huso or Bennington, I think the Wild as well are going to, find it difficult to pick Talbot or Flurry, And um, out of those four goalies, a ton of talent there. It'll be really which one has the uh, the better series and take the number one job is going to be the team that advances to the next round. I, I'm going 100% off the Wilds last season, not this one, but they really gave Vegas a scare in the first round. Um, they were able to really dial up the defense. I think Vegas was should have been the team that went to the Stanley Cup finals to play the Lightning, but for Mark Andre, or excuse me, but for Carey Price. And this team just seemed ready to win a playoff series, like go extended, extended minutes and to like drive out those one goal deficit games. And I like their foundations a little better than the Blues. So I'm going wild. Awesome. We're going to buzz through these series here. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid, Art Ross trophy winner, um, silently another 120 point season after it being a quote unquote down year. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes home the heart, just kind of like the best player in hockey right now. Uh, scintillating sensational. Cannot wait to see him. Uh, the LA Kings. Awesome. Awesome season finishing a two seed in their division really awesome, really high above expectations, uh, but they are going to need a spectacular performance from their goaltending as uh, no Drew Daddy for this series, so they're missing some some playoff depth for sure, uh, and so I'm going to pick Edmonton here, surprisingly, and I think we could very well see a Battle of Alberta in the second round, but we'll get there next. That would be wonderful. I, I just... I'm sorry, Edmonton fans. Uh, maybe I'm just projecting here, but I don't see it. Um, I'm going with the Kings. Next one here, the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. Uh, the Stars limping into the playoffs uh, ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights who missed the playoffs for the first time in their young uh, lives as as an NHL franchise. Uh, Dallas looked like they wanted to give it away. I think they're completely outclassed from a Calgary Flames team that now since 
November has been maybe the best team in the league just in terms of their physicality. They've been built now to be a playoff contender, and that translated to the regular season. But with Markstrom and Nett and with the solid group of guys that they now have <laughs> one through 25 on this roster, just studs up and down and Dale Sutter behind the bench, uh, I'd say Calgary here. And this could be very well a sweep as well in my books. And this one's going to be personal for the Flames after the bubble um, somewhat upset win that the Stars pulled off not long ago. They're going to have sh- a long memory going into this series of that. Um, it's head says flames, heart says stars all the way. I can't pick against Dallas, but I'm not optimistic. Winner of this series gets the honorary cowboy hat award. (laughs) All right, moving along. The Nashville Predators and the Colorado Avalanche feels very similar to the series. We just talked about Calgary and Dallas, uh, very one-sided in my opinion, and no UC Saros in net for Nashville is huge. And that was really their only chance. This Colorado team is a wagon. I've been on them for three years now, and I'm going to continue to hammer them here. It's four or five for Colorado. Yeah. It's really the second round where the Avs keep running into trouble. Um, Was it the third round in the bubble year against the stars maybe, but it's those middle playoffs rounds. They haven't had their finals runs yet, but the first round has been pretty clear for them. And I expect for that precedent to continue. All right, we'll transition to the Eastern Conference here and start with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Rangers. Really, really looking forward to this one. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, uh, a a last ride possibly, if you will. Um, I'm sure they got a couple great years left in them, but maybe not at the same level of play that they once were in this New York Rangers team. We talked about it a couple seasons ago. They picked up their number one offensive player in Artemi Panarin. They picked up their number one defensive player in Jacob Truba. And now they have Igor Shesterkin, who's going to win the Vesna this year as the number one goalie in the league. And once you have those three pieces settled, you really build out your roster around it. They've got a ton of young, successful players that are really stepping into key roles. Uh, and this is their first chance in their new rebuild to prove that they are now in the contender group rather than just being the young upstart team. And they get a great challenge here against a very experienced Pittsburgh Penguin squad. Uh, I give the edge, though, to the Rangers. I say they take it in seven just on the back of Shesterkin. That's an interesting pick to me because, uh, well, first I'll just say it's no surprise for me to see the Rangers in this playoff position after the year they had last. This was clearly a team on the upswing momentum, as you've said, put all the right pieces in the right places and have let them grow. The goaltending, a lovely surprise, uh, even lovelier surprise seeing the Penguins in the playoffs. I think we both picked against them. I know I did. Um always here for Sid and Malkin. Uh, The big difference, like you said, I think New York, clearly the bigger, better roster, Um, but just the playoff experience difference, the one edge I give the Penguins. And I feel like if it gets dicey, if this Rangers team starts to waver, I don't know if they can heal the chinks in their armor once it opens up. I I think they're going to come out with the momentum, but if the Penguins can take it, I'm not sure the Rangers are going to be able to take it back. So I feel like it's either quick sweep for the Rangers, but if the Penguins get going, the series goes their way. 
Looking forward to that one. Moving along here, the Washington Capitals and the President's Trophy winning Florida Panthers. And the Panthers are a wagon, and they bought and bought at the deadline. They have thrown the future out the window. This is win now. They have not won a playoff series since 1996, and I think they're going to do it. They went through the dragon here, uh, uh, the gauntlet against Tampa Bay last year, and, and pushed them in a really physical, exciting series. They now know what that's like. And they have another dragon to beat in the Washington Capitals, who have won the Stanley Cup, I believe it was four years ago now. Uh, but a tried and true, proven veteran team. Uh, but I just think the goaltending matchup is is a little bit one-sided here. And is it possible that Aaron Ekblad is back for this playoffs? Uh, that would be kind of the key piece that they were missing last year that really finalizes this roster for Florida, who already is blowing teams out on a night-to-night basis. Jonathan Huberto, a fantastic, fantastic season. The most assists by a left winger in NHL history in a season. Alexander Barkov, maybe the best two-way player in the sport right now. Uh, and, of course, adding Claude Giroux is simply ridiculous. So I pick Florida here to, to walk through to the second round. That is nuts to me to hear that the Florida Panthers haven't won a series since 96. Um, because to me, this roster has clearly been built to win a cup, not just to contend, not to gather playoff experience, but this is a team that was built for one thing, all those buys at the deadline for one thing, to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. <clears throat> and once you're through them, why stop, go all the way? And... Uh, how can you say they don't have a great shot at it? I think that'll get tested later, but against the Capitals, I feel pretty safe picking them. We arrived at the Atlantic division. Uh, we'll put off the, the, the stress for one more series here. The Boston Bruins heading to Carolina uh, for this first round matchup. They get underway as the first series to go tomorrow at 7 p.m. Um, the Hurricanes like Florida, have been really solid all year. They've had their playoff scars, and they look to be in a great position to push through against a Boston team, however scary to us Leafs fans, not looked at the same way around the league by other teams with the aging roster and maybe some unreliable pieces in the back end. Now, Bruce Cassidy is an incredible head coach. He's going to keep the Bruins in this series, and I think they could really push if Freddie Anderson is not healthy. Um, cause when healthy Anderson was a Vesna candidate with the way that Carolina defends at such a high level, but he may not be ready to go for game one. So if Carolina is getting through here, they are taking, they are having a bite taken out of them. And I say Carolina in seven. We're looking at these teams that have been playoff powerhouses for so long the Capitals, the Penguins We're picking against them and the very, the Bruins very much, in my opinion, in the exact same vein. Uh, it's just really hard to see from our perspective when you literally cannot fathom or comprehend the concept of winning a playoff series against them. Um, but yeah, I, I feel good for the Canes to take this one. Everyone take a deep breath in and out and now i shall wring my hands and play with my stress ball as we introduce our final series i need another beer toronto maple leafs as the home team big 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 for them to have that they were really really great at home this season i think 38 and 2 or something like that 
really, really strong record. But of course, in classic Leafs fashion, it always has to be the most stressful and difficult playoff matchup each year, except for Montreal last year, but somehow they blew that. They faced the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, who ran them a week and a half ago and, and punched their faces in. And I can see a lot of that happening in this series. But this Toronto team is the greatest that they've ever had in their regular season history. Austin Matthews, 60 goals, Rocket Richard winner. Mitch Marner, 97 points. William Nylander, career high in goals, driving that third line. Unbelievable value contributed by Bunting, Kerfoot, Mikheyev, Engvall, all of these guys up and down the roster. This is the most complete Leafs team we've had. The defense is completely locked in. It's the most comfortable I've felt with a Leafs defense ever. And it comes down to the goaltending. On one side, you've got Jack Campbell, who was Vesna through two months, and then very much not so the rest of the season. And you're going up against Andre Vasilevsky, who fills the entire net and can single-handedly swing a series as he has done so many times before. I believe the Leafs can win this playoff series, but my head tells me to stick with the Lightning because similar situation where you do not bet against the house. They have consistently risen above adversity and won series, and they are just so incredibly dialed in that they know what it takes, but as I put on the clown makeup, I am ready to get hurt again. And I think this could have shades of the Pittsburgh Penguins losing out in the first round after going back-to-back Stanley Cups. And I'm going to pick the Toronto Maple Leafs to win this playoff series. But I'm not going to give games because I don't even want to bring any sort of scenario onto the table. But this is it. I'm ready to ride. We... We talked about this a bit before getting on the air, but after a year where I watched almost every Leafs game, was there for every bit of pain of the playoffs in the last season, I just checked out for this one. Um, It went, I didn't predict a franchise high, but I figured Matthews and Marner would be electric. The offense would be there. Of course, there would be the bumps in the road. There always are for this team. We look back at January, February, particularly the goaltending defense, um, but they came through it. They get into the playoffs comfortably. They have a lot of highs going for them. You could write essay on essay on all the reasons they can win a playoff series. It's just when you get into those big moments, when the other team's goaltender is just a wall and you cannot buy a goal, can you hang in there defensively, not give up the puck in stupid ways and keep trying? When you go into those overtime moments, can you get it? When you need a goal, can your biggest players be there for you? And just time and time and time and time again, the answer has been no for the Leafs. I look forward to trying again, and I've been waiting all year to see these two weeks of hockey, but I can't pick them. So there you have it, and we will get a very good indication of what this series is going to look like tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Eastern uh, as the Leafs host the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one. I just chugged about half of that beer um, that I just opened after finishing that sentence for 
all those just listening. It can't happen again. Surely not. But good for the content, I suppose, either way. Yes. Um, I just got the clown makeup at the ready. Yeah. That is it for NHL playoff preview. Max, a little bit of tennis talk here to close us out. What do you got? Yeah, we're, we've got another ATP 1000 event to talk about quickly for the first time in 2022. I'm pretty sure Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal will be playing in the same event. Uh, the stakes not insignificant at the 1000 level. Uh, Djokovic really not had the start to this point to the season, not the... Uh, he had some adversity to deal with, and I thought he was going to come swinging in the matches he was able to play, and thus far into the season, he has not. Nadal, absolutely electric to start the season. A bit of injury trouble. Um, I cannot wait to get to the fringe just for the Grand Slam narrative between these two. And this kind of the last uh, measure before we go into that of where these two are at um, tons of other names and storylines going on as well. Of course, Carlos Alcaraz number two in my mind um, magnitude wise, just coming after those two, the way he's been playing, cannot wait to see him go again. Though Stefano Sitsipas winning the last 1000 event, defending his championship Barcelona, I think. Um, no, it was in Monte Carlo, my mistake. Um, so always give him his chance on clay. Alexander Zverev, though, the defending champion on this one. Then guys like Andre Rublev, Kasper Rudd, um, the next threat level, I'd say in this. And of course, our Canadians, Felix Auger, Aliasim, Denis Shapovalov competing. Just to say, this is a who's who of talent. Most of the big names you can ask for. Uh, an exciting event. And the last look we probably get at this level of competition before the French. So certainly something I'll be keeping my eye on. Also, while we're in the tennis world, just a quick shout out and congratulations to Bianca Andreescu, who after taking a layoff from the tour to deal with, I believe, mostly mental health issues, has decided the time is right to come back and resume playing. So she picks up her first win in a while today. Yes, today. Um, so congratulations to her. Um, it's tennis and individual event i think the mental health of players something much more to take stock of and take care of yeah. yourself to compete at the best level you can something we're still figuring out but great to see that her come back and get a win and looking forward to seeing how it goes from there so happy for her she's got still such a bright future ahead of her so young and a lot of expectations i'm sure um but looking to see her back on the court because she plays with such a fire it's really really exciting all right finishing up the pod here the toronto blue jays max continue to roll since the last time uh we spoke a week ago they still now have let yet to uh lose a regular season series taking two of three again from the houston astros and they are now 15 and eight 
to start the young season, seven games above 500. Always great to get an early head start uh, and have teams be chasing you rather than the other way around. Alec Manoa, I mean, this Blue Jays roster, when I told you the line, the pitching rotation is renewed and it is incredibly deep. Hunjin Ryu has not been starting now for a couple of starts, but even without him, they have three studs that they can go to. Barrios, so far, mixed bag, but overall positive. And then Alec Manoa, who has only started 25 times total in the NBA or in the MLB as a professional pitcher. And in those 25 starts, the Blue Jays are 20 and four. Wow. Just awesome stuff from the kid. Uh, they have won eight, all eight of his last starts when he's been on the hill, and he is just completely dominant right now. And it is so fun to watch him pitch every time he goes out there. Another dude who has been overwhelmingly dominant is Kevin Gosman, who went out again today against the Astros and now has a streak of 41 strikeouts without allowing a walk over his starts. He had 10 today, seven strong innings. And late in this game, George Springer, who hit two home runs yesterday, comes up with a diving catch in the corner to save the game-tying run in the ninth, and the Blue Jays pull out yet another one-run win, which I have talked about so much, and they are now 9-2 and two in such games versus, once again, 6-10 and 10 halfway through the season last year. So winning those tight games, really, really important. And once this offense really starts getting clicking, I think we could see a really big run by this team, but great signs early on uh, of this season for the Blue Jays. Love to hear it. They do get the Yankees tomorrow, who are also off to a red-hot start. I believe the records are uh, identical at this point, but good stuff right now for the Blue Jays here as they take on the 16-6 and New York Yankees to start the season. They did split them uh, four games on the road in New York, so it would be really nice to get that home crowd behind them, get some big wins here early in the season, but the Yankees are red hot right now. So not a bad, not a great time to catch them, but hey, you got to beat the best to be the best. So looking forward to that. Um, Really great show with you today, Max. We caught up on a lot. Looking forward to the next one, and we are right now in the swing of NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs, so it it doesn't get any better than this time of year with the spring sun shining uh, and the sports in full swing. So thanks, everyone, for listening today. My apologies for the spring sniffles, but they're really right up there with deaths and taxes. What else can I do? Just powering through it. Sports Next Door, signing out.